Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. I'm recording this in my house right now and I recorded this episode's interview in my house and that's where I recorded last week's mailbag episode and well, most of the episodes of this podcast. I love my house and we love our neighborhood, this home, and we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, if you're building a house, if you're looking for investment property, even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo National Bank online at anb.com and to Realtor Sabra Kofer online at sabracofer.com. Today's guest is Lance Garza. Lance is one of the owners of Kalichi, a unique new collaborative business in Amarillo that offers retail, art, and event space, and mental health services all under one roof. It's, it's just a really fresh concept here. I've seen it in other places, uh, but I'm glad they're here. He also owns Bitter Buffalo Records, a reseller of books and vinyl. Now, Lance grew up in Amarillo before moving away when he was in high school, and he's returned to Amarillo as an adult. He and his wife, Ashley, actually moved here last year during COVID from Chicago, and they've quickly become enmeshed in the local creative community. I really love what he and his partners are doing at Kalichi, and it was fun to hear his story. So here's Lance Garza. Lance Garza, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. I, uh, it's, an, it's an honor to have you. I know that you're a listener, um, and I know that you are interested in a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in. So I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I want to start it the same way that I start all of my conversations, and that's to ask you why you're here. So how did you end up in this area? Okay, yeah. Uh, my family is from Dalhart. Uh, it's where my mom and my dad met. So that's where all my extended family is. Uh, I didn't move to Amarillo until I was actually about four or so after my parents got a divorce. Um, moved to Canyon first, back to Dalhart, and then to Amarillo. Lived in Amarillo from five to 16, and then moved back to Amarillo whenever I was 18. Okay. So kind of off and on, uh, but spent formative years here, big chunk of my childhood, uh, and just moved back again a little over a year ago now. How did your parents end up in Dalhart? Do you know anything about that? Like, what did they do there or what brought yeah. them there? Yeah, um, my dad was born in Mexico. Uh, he moved to Texas in around like 89, I think. Um, my mom, she was born in Lubbock, and she moved to Dalhart uh, pretty early on, like mid-70s. Okay. But Dalhart, small town, everyone knows everyone right, there. My right. grandpa's kind of man about town. Uh, for the longest time, he was the only Bales bondsman in Dalhart. Really? Yeah, worked okay. on sprinklers there in Dalhart. Uh, so everyone knows him. He knows everybody. Been there for you know forty years now. So where did you go to school when you were in Amarillo? Bounced around a little bit. I went to Wolfland first through fourth grade. Okay. Belmar fifth grade. Austin, 6th through 7th, Sam Houston, 8th, and then Tascosa until halfway in my sophomore year. Yeah. And then I moved uh, away, went to high school in Alabama, and then finished in New York. Okay. Yeah. You did bounce around. I did, yeah. 
can you, I mean, that has a, an impact on kids in positive and negative ways. Uh-huh. Can you look back at all that change as a kid and, and think, okay, well, here's a, here's a way it helped and here's something that was terrible about it. I mean, do you see its impact on you? I did later in high school. I did high school. It was fun because, you know, I got to go to three different high schools and start over. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, whenever I was younger here, one of the reasons why I bounced around, unfortunately, I was kind of a troubled child. Okay. So Wolfland, I got kicked out in the fifth grade. Austin, I got kicked out in the eighth grade. Uh, Tascosa, same thing. I didn't really get kicked out of Tascosa, but I got in trouble. I got sent to AEP and then North Heights, and then my mom sent me to live with my dad. Okay. Yeah. What was the source of that trouble? Uh, I think the probably the word I heard most was defiance. Okay. I had a really hard time following rules. I was hyperactive. I loved to talk, and I hated listening to teachers. Any Any order I took uh, I just couldn't stand to follow it um, to to a really obnoxious degree. Is that something that uh, was just sort of a natural bent in your personality? I mean, I think so. How, did, I mean, how does a kid end up like that? Because I mean, you're not a defiant person now. Yeah, you know. So I man, I think so. I mean, I think I am still well, defiant I mean, a little bit, but in you can function ways. in society. Yeah, you know, you're not getting kicked out of places. Exactly. So. Yeah, I man, I don't know when it started, but I mean. Since first grade at Wolfland, I was getting lunch detentions. It was so bad. I, they used to give me detention all the time, but I would never show up. I would always just go to my mom in the car and leave. So they started giving me lunch detention so that I could actually serve it out like during school because they knew I wouldn't hang out. It was just something that I always did. I don't know where it came from. My dad was a little rebellious growing up, so maybe it's something to do with that. Otherwise, I don't know. Hmm. Just something about me being younger, hearing orders from teachers, being told to do things I didn't want to do, uh, just never really jived with me. So you you left here in high school and then came back briefly and then left again for yeah. a longer time. Uh, what did you do after after high school? Uh, after high school, so like I said, I graduated uh, from a small school up in New York Briefly attended community college there. My dad got deployed. He was in the military. So when he got deployed, I came back to Amarillo to live. Um, and really, I just kind of bounced around. For the first couple of years, I just hung out, uh, worked. About two years after being here, I enrolled back in AC, started taking that a lot more seriously, you know, stopped hanging out with the crowd I was hanging out with previously. So uh, it was really, I think, that second time that I came back, went to AC, that, that Amarillo kind of balanced out for me. Mm-hmm in a way. But I think that period was from whenever I was like 18 to 21. So I was only back for about three years. Is there something, you know, like you said, you, you stopped hanging out with the with the wrong crowd. Is, is there something about leaving and then coming back and, and being able to kind of start all over or start I, fresh? Because I mean, you've done that now in Amarillo multiple times. Three times. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, it's it's been different each time, but coming back is definitely an interesting thing with Amarillo, I think, because the first time I came back, I had lived in a small town in Alabama, a small town in New York. So Amarillo was still kind of Amarillo to mm-hmm. me. You know, it not a lot to me seemed like it had changed more than, you know, I had actually changed coming back. The second time I came back, though, it was a deliberate choice. Uh, my wife and I living in Chicago, uh, I'd come back to visit Amarillo to see family a couple of times. And one of the times we came back, there was just something that kind of clicked. We saw something that we hadn't seen 
in Amarillo before, kind of a, a certain growth, um, things that maybe were there when we were here previously, but we didn't notice necessarily. Yeah. So that the last time that we came back, it was, like I said, deliberate, and it was also very refreshing. Um, it felt like there were certain opportunities here that we previously didn't see. So that, that's been probably the best time for me, uh, and it's, it's kind of given me a, a completely new appreciation for Amarillo. Let's talk about that in, in a second. I'd, I'd like to hear about Chicago before we get there. Like, okay. what, what were the two of you doing in Chicago? Okay, yeah. Uh, my wife got into uh, the University of Chicago for her master's social work program. So we moved up there together while she was in school. I worked at a bookstore in Chicago called mm-hmm. Powell's. I don't know if you've ever heard of Powell's. Heard of Powell's? Yeah. Um, this was this is the Chicago Powell's. Right. Yeah. Uh, the so original familiar one. from. The... Yeah. Most people know the the Portland one, but the one in Chicago is the original one. In the book world, it's actually a pretty legendary bookstore. Um, they sell antiquarian books, remainders. Uh, its proximity to the University of Chicago gives it access to just incredible books. Um, for my money, it's one of the most amazing used bookstores I've ever been in. Hmm. Um, and I originally, I applied there just kind of on a whim to pass the time before I could find a better job. Uh, and I was a book lover, but working there, I was exposed to the world of antiquarian books, older books, collectible right. books. Uh, so I got kind of a crash course in books as objects as well, printing history, publishers, things like that. So that completely kind of changed uh, my perspective on books a little bit. I used to, I was quickly moved my way up, became one of their like primary book buyers. Uh, I would go on house calls. I would go do book fairs with them, conventions, things like that. And just got to where I loved buying books. Uh, It was one of my favorite things to, you know, you go through stacks and stacks of books, most of it's garbage. And every now and then you find that one book uh, that's just absolutely incredible. You've been looking for it. Here it is right in front of you. There was something really, really fun about the thrill of that chase. And that to me sounds like, it sounds like a, a needle in a haystack sort of scenario because, I mean, obviously there are so many books printed every year, you know, tens of thousands and, and have been for, you know, 100 years oh, yeah. at least. Um, and so you're just digging into piles of books and you don't know what might be in there, but you have to know enough to see something of value when it shows up there. Absolutely. And so how do you gain like that that knowledge of these are the books that are important with you know so many to choose from and so much history to draw from? You um, you just got to put your hands on enough books. I mean, reading the books is obviously an important part. Having that kind of network built in your mind of authors, publishers. Um, But really, again, it's putting your hands on enough books because, you know, some books are like a good title, but they're from kind of a mass market publisher. Mm -hmm. You read it once, it falls apart in your hands. Uh, So you have to, the guy that I worked for was really old school. Whenever we did just regular book buys, we didn't look anything up. We would just go through stacks, decide how much we thought it was worth, how much we would pay for it. So we would go through hundreds of books every day. And doing that, you get familiar with authors, even if you've never read them, certain Mm -hmm. titles that are more popular from certain authors uh, and certain publishers who who pump out, you know, higher quality books, higher quality authors. So that's that's what I really learned from that. And like I said, being near the University of Chicago, which is uh, Hyde Park, one of the most well-read neighborhoods I've ever been in in my life. Mm. Uh, so the standards there were also really high. Right. 
to some people outside the bookstore to an obnoxious degree because they would bring in what they thought were really good books. But since we had access to so many books and limited space, we had to be incredibly choosy on right, what we would right. take. So people, which would, could be offensive to and somebody, it who often was. They think they've got people something would, special. Yeah, all the time, yeah, they'd be like, "This is a good book," and it's like, "It's a great book." We just have twenty copies of it yeah. now. One more is not going to do us any good. So that that helped a lot, and it was a lot of fun. It's the same thing that I've kind of carried over now that I'm buying my own books. Uh, the biggest challenge there was people brought the books to me. Now, for the most part, I'm finding the right. books on my own. But I'm using kind of the same tools. You know, there's certain authors maybe that I'm not familiar with, but I see the publisher. I know it's a good publisher. Uh, and I know that most likely that this is going to be a solid, reliable title. But now, you know, being in Amarillo, it's completely different reading culture. So there's right. a lot more to parse through. There's other things that I need to get familiar with that I wasn't as familiar with before. But, but for the most part, my training in Chicago's helped me out quite a bit. I, I know that you have a substantial collection of... Texas books, oh, yeah. books about Amarillo and Amarillo history. And, and you identify yourself as an amateur Texas historian. Yep. Um, did that start before you came back? I mean, was that something that had been kind of percolating for, for several years? It started while I was away. Yeah. Um, specifically the interest in the history of this region. Growing up here, I didn't care mm -hmm. about it, to be honest with you. Um, I heard, you know, the names, Bones Hooks, Goodnight, all of that stuff. But it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. And it wasn't until I moved away uh, and started, you know, discovering certain Texas authors who I really respected and read their writing on the area that I really started to probe deeper into the history of Amarillo. So for several years while I was away, I was reading books on this area, books on Texas history. Uh, and each time I would come back just to visit, I would have that in mind, like this mm -hmm. fresh history, things I didn't know whenever I lived here. Uh, that I think also helped me to really gain an appreciation for this area. But in Chicago, for the couple of years that I lived there, I was actively reading Texas history, Amarillo history, Texas novels. Uh, it was kind of the only thing I was reading for a while. Were you encountering those books among you know your clients and, and people bringing books to the bookstore there? Quite a bit, yeah. Uh, I mean, because, you know, Amarillo has a pretty big Chicago connection. Right, right. A lot of, you know, really important books about the Panhandle and about Texas were published in Chicago or in connection with Chicago it's in some way. It's where all the cattle ended up. When... It's where all the cattle ended up. It's where the Farwells came from. Yeah. yeah, huge, huge Chicago connection. So I saw a lot of Texas books there. The weird thing was there was a lot of people selling them to us. There wasn't a lot of people buying them. Okay. So I was kind of Powell's best customer on Texas books because there was a period of time where literally if just something had Texas in the yeah. title, if I didn't know what it was, I was going to buy it. You were just getting paid just in gonna books. Just going to take a chance on it. I really was, yeah. Tell me, you, you mentioned the differences in the reading culture here compared to you know Hyde Park area, which I can imagine one being surrounding a prestigious college. That makes sense. But are, are there other differences beyond... This is not typically seen as a college town. That's it's a hard question. I mean, there are definitely differences. Uh, one thing that I, I think I've noticed and that I actually really appreciate about Amarillo. Um, growing up, I loved authors like Bukowski. I loved Kerouac. You know, like this mm -hmm. stereotypical stuff that most you know kind of alternative you know male teenagers are into. All the defiant kids. All yeah. the defiant kids. Yeah, Kerouac, Bukowski. But whenever I got into college, whenever I moved to Chicago. A lot of that stuff was like too lowbrow for them. They didn't take it seriously. 
Uh, they didn't care about it. You know, there's so many other poets in the world. Why would you care about Bukowski? But in Amarillo, I feel like there's still an appreciation for that stuff. There's not this kind of pretense of, oh, yeah, Bukowski's cool, but you should read real poetry. Right, right. Um, so that's that's one thing I do really appreciate about Amarillo. One, one thing I wish we did more of is read, I guess, more like philosophy, mm-hmm. I guess, more kind of like challenging ideas. That was one thing that really helped me in my growth as a reader and just as a thinker in general was reading books that really challenged me on multiple levels. You know, first of all, they're really difficult to read. Second of all, the ideas that you encounter might go against a lot of like preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of open yourself up to those, uh, it it breaks your mind in a good way. It kind of pulls you back from kind of, you know, instinctual thinking or just kind of thinking from your gut. Uh, and allows you to kind of have a thought, pull back from it a second, rationalize it, and try to develop it into a much better, healthier idea. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the decision that you and your wife Ashley made to move here. Um, because that transition from Chicago to Amarillo is going to be a big one. I mean, that those were very different places. But yeah, tell me about some of the thought process as you saw some of the growth that, that had happened here. Uh, and you began to think, okay, we're going to leave this thing behind and, and start something new in Amarillo. Like, what were the things that you were kind of looking at or thinking about? Well, the pandemic was probably one of the biggest things. Um, living in Chicago, we loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an amazing city. There was everything to do there. I had a good job. My wife had a good job. Uh, everything was going great. It was going perfect. We had talked about eventually moving back down to Texas or at least the Southwest somewhere. Uh, But with the way things were going in Chicago, we knew that wouldn't be for several years. But then the pandemic happened, and Chicago, Illinois uh, especially, was one of the first states to really take it seriously. I mean, they, you know, went down into lockdown quick. Uh, So the whole city shut down. Um, You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. And there was something really, really isolating and depressing about being in a city of 5 million people and feeling incredibly alone. Yeah. So there was one point kind of early on uh, in the pandemic, it was about August, that my wife and I took a trip to Amarillo to see family. Um, so we stayed here for about a week, uh, and then we went down to San Marcos to visit some friends down there. And it's, it just kind of clicked. We realized even though we had previously loved Chicago, we were not happy in that moment. Uh, We talked about eventually moving, but now, given where we were at, uh, we might want to move that up sooner. And it was it was with my wife and I, it was simultaneous moment where we both sat down and we were like, we need to move back to Texas. Hmm. Amarillo, to be honest, was not initially the first choice. But the more we kind of talked about it and thought about it, uh, she's a therapist. She had always wanted to open up her own practice. Uh, I've dealt in books and records for years. I've always wanted to open my own book and record store. Some of the other places we were considering have plenty of those things, or they're they're near those things. Um, Amarillo was a place where we kind of finally realized it it needed more of those things. For her being a therapist, um, Amarillo needs more therapists. Absolutely, yeah. Bookstores and record stores. We do have books and record stores, but, you know, for me, I wanted to kind there's of... There's never enough of those. There's things. never enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, with books, music, culture in general, the more you have, I think, just the better off you are. Um, so Amarillo seemed like the right place to do it. And having grown up here, I wanted to kind of try to provide something 
that I would have wanted yeah. uh, whenever I was growing up here. You know, I've, I've heard several stories of people that did make a move like you did during the pandemic. And those are always interesting to me because on, on one hand, I think everybody can understand, you know, the isolation and the frustration, you know, seeing a place that is completely shut down coming to Amarillo where, you know, we, we slowed down a little bit, yep. but then popped right back open yep. pretty quick. And, and viewing the, the pandemic as sort of this temporary thing, which I think everybody has been hopeful that it's a temporary thing, even now, 18 months later or oh, whatever. Yeah. But like that decision to move is a permanent, it's a permanent response to something that might be temporary. And I wonder, you know, did, did you just know we're just going to move up our timeline and, and get out of here? Or was there ever a thought that like, let's give, let's give the pandemic in Chicago a few more months and see, see if it fixes, you know? It was, like I said, it was a quick decision. I mean, it, we, like I said, it was the end of August, I think, whenever we visited here. And once we made up our minds, we went back to Chicago, got a U-Haul, packed up all of our stuff, and we were gone in yeah. a month. You just we didn't look back then? Didn't look back at all. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm still sad to have left Chicago because I absolutely loved it. I still love it, think of it fondly all the time. Uh, but I have not for a single second regretted being back in Amarillo. I think I've grown a lot. Amarillo has grown a lot. There's so much to appreciate here. I've grown just a completely new love for the city, for the people in the city. I see so much potential here that it's it's been a lot of fun being back. It really has. Uh, and I, we're going to be here for a while. And I think one of the things that that maybe has some holding power with you is that you've already opened two businesses, I guess. Yeah with Bitter Buffalo and Caliche, uh, even though there's some intertwining, I guess, with that. So tell me tell me about that decision and why you you decided to, to kind of jump in so quickly that way. Because um, I wanted to do things. I mean, that was a big, uh, another reason why we wanted to, to come here um, in Chicago. Like I said, we both had good jobs. We kind of played it safe there, um, got really comfortable and once we made that decision to move, it kind of clicked something in my brain where I didn't want to just be safe anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to just get another job. Go and work kind at of, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, <laughs> which, you know, I would have, but like I wanted to, I had just turned 30. I wanted to start doing something. And whenever I came here, I had a huge book collection, huge record collection. Um, I'd been selling online for a while uh, and starting a bookstore and record store was a dream of mine. Um, so as soon as we moved back within a month, I had created an Instagram, created a website, started posting books and records. It was a tad bit slow at first, but since I was kind of a stranger in town, mm-hmm. at least to a lot of the new crowd here, I think that there was maybe like a sense of mystery yeah. around who was behind Bitter Buffalo. So it was it was actually a lot of fun at first. It's still a lot of fun, but that kind of like early days where is it just a phase? Am I just going to sell a bunch of my own records and then, you know, cash in and go yeah. do something else? But it, it worked out way better than I would have hoped. It's continuing to work out. We're getting a lot of people who were really pleased with Bitter Buffalo and Caliche. Uh, so again, I, I'm just as pleased as I can be by the turnout on all of it. Tell me about the name Bitter Buffalo. Where did that come from? It's uh, from a Modest Mouse song. Okay. Uh, It's called Heart Cook's Brain. Modest Mouse, for me, huge band for me growing up, specifically in Amarillo. Um, All my friends were into Modest Mouse. We constantly listened to Modest Mouse. Uh, I don't know if they've ever spent any time in Amarillo, 
but there's something in like the ethos of their music that has a very Amarillo attitude hmm. about it. So it was just one of those bands and one of those songs that whenever I always heard it, I thought of Amarillo. So I, I knew that's what I wanted to name my business. And kind of more than that, um, you know, the Buffalo, you know, this is like the, the land of the Buffalo. The Buffalo iconography is all over the place in this region, which I wanted to kind of lean into that, but I mm -hmm. wanted to kind of, uh, you know, make it weird in my yeah, own way. Yeah. Um, and I wanted it to kind of capture, you know, the ethos that I was going for. Uh, and, and the Bitter Buffalo did that for me, really, because I think, you know, a lot of us Amarilloans who are a little bit more alternative are bitter, maybe to a certain extent, um, sometimes in unhealthy ways, sometimes in healthy ways. Uh, but I, I wanted that to be kind of clear in, in what I was doing. I wanted it to capture this region, something that was important to me uh, and something that I was uh, that I thought was important to like minded people. I want to hear some about the Kalichi origin story. Um, because it, it's been brought up on this podcast before by guests, just the unique model of having a shop that is kind of like, you know, four or five different businesses in one. Yeah. Um, with the therapeutic aspect and the book sales and, you know, small pop-up vendors and an art gallery and, and all those different things. Uh, and how that's, that's a very generational way of, of kind of thinking about a business. A lot of people would think I'm going to start this business and it's going to be this one thing. And you and your partners at Kalichi just kind of took all the stuff you're interested in and then put it under one roof. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about that thinking and, and sort of how it came to be. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a, all of our own independent dreams just stuck together. Ashley, my wife, uh, and I met Keegan and McCabry early on when we moved back uh, and just hit it off immediately. They were actually thinking about moving. They'd been looking at cities. They were planning to leave. And then we met up and just hit it off immediately. We we originally met because I was going to trade a record for some earrings because mm -hmm. McCabry had started making her own jewelry and was selling it on Instagram. They came over to do the handoff and we hung out for about five hours. Wow. We were originally just going to, you know, pass it off, say goodbye. But we sat out back by the fire and just talked about Amarillo, about ourselves, our dreams for the area. And we all just kind of clicked immediately. Um, and we all started hanging out a lot, talking about, you know, certain things that we'd want to do for this area, certain things that we want for this area. Uh, and that eventually kind of snowballed into this idea of opening up our own kind of multi-purpose business. Again, I wanted to open a book and record store. McCabry had dealt vintage and made her own jewelry for mm -hmm. a while. Keegan's been an artist. My wife's done therapy. So we wanted to find some way to just bring all of those things together. Uh, but we also wanted it to be kind of community involved. So we yeah. wanted to involve other creative people. We wanted to do, you know, music, other interesting cultural things. So pretty soon we started looking at spaces, uh, there's a couple months where we were just looking at like any available, you know, building in Amarillo. And eventually we found the one that we're in now, uh, which oddly enough, Keegan and McCabry had looked at several years ago uh, and then it got leased. And then the lease ended, I guess, uh, last year 
Wes Reeves posted it on his mm-hmm. Instagram, and we were like, holy crap, this is this space. It's perfect. It's, you know, this mid-century modern building in a really interesting area. It's an old pharmacy, right? It's an old pharmacy. Yeah, That's what it originally Which would have been right across from the Northwest Texas Hospital. Exactly. Yeah. And it was. it's a beautiful building. Yeah. You know, it's split kind of in two sections. Uh, it had an office in the back, which is perfect for my wife's therapy practice. Her lobby is really big, which, you know, now is our art gallery. And then the uh, front room was just perfect for retail space. I mean, it's got a big, beautiful window. Uh, it's wide open. Um, so it, it just seemed like the kind of perfect place to do what we wanted to do. So after about two weeks um, finding out that it was available to lease, we jumped on it, signed the lease, and then moved in as quickly as possible. I think it took us about two weeks worth of work to build everything that we mm-hmm. needed to, to kind of fill it with all of our product. And we, we got it started as, as soon as we could. And what I like about it is that you've got the, the retail component and the gallery side and the therapy side, all those things. But you, like you said, you've also sort of moved into the community aspect yeah. and you're hosting concerts and movie nights and, and all those kinds of things. So talk about that a little bit. Like, tell me why it's it's more important to do that as opposed to just, you know, a place to sell stuff, you know, a, a shop. Yeah. Um, movies for me, I'm huge movie buff. Absolutely love watching weird movies. You know, one idea my wife and I had whenever we were moving back was starting some kind of underground film society. Mm-hmm. You know, we have good theaters here in Amarillo, but often we get kind of the more popular movies. Right. A lot of the more kind of independent movies, foreign movies uh, might come here. Often they don't. Uh, but or they're we, open for just a few days. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in, unless you go see it on those few days, you just don't have an opportunity to see it. And and for me, movies have always felt really enriching. So I wanted to provide that as well. You know, a place where you could see uh, movies that you normally wouldn't see in Amarillo in public spaces. So that that was you know something that we wanted to do early on. And, you know, it gives someone or gives people something to do, uh, something really interesting to do. Like I said, weird movies, uh, things that they might not have heard of or things that they might not have otherwise seen if we didn't play them. Same with the concerts. I mean, we do have, you know, a few venues here for live music, but our space is pretty small. Mm -hmm. Uh, So whenever we have had shows there, it's really intimate. I mean, the performers really never more than like four feet from the crowd. So there, there's something really interesting, I think, about that environment. And, you know, uh, the the other places where there are shows, most of them are, you know, bars or like serve alcohol. Uh, we allow uh, consumption on our premises, but it's not a place where you have to go and order a beer. You right. Know, you can right. go there just to see the music and you can drink, you know, water, Topo Chico, whatever you want. You don't have to drink when you're there. So that's, that's kind of another thing we wanted to do is provide uh, another place to do interesting things where you could kind of do what you wanted to do, but it didn't have to be in that same kind of, you know, bar culture that exists here. What has the response been to the to Kalichi, all aspects of it? I think it's been great. Our opening day kind of blew our minds. We, mm-hmm. we had a really great turnout that we did not expect at all. Um, and it's kind of continued to grow from there. I'm sure people say negative things because... People say negative things, but I, I haven't really heard anything negative yet. I mean, everyone really just seems glad that we're doing it. Uh, very appreciative that there's kind of something like this in Amarillo. Uh, so I, I've been so incredibly pleased with it. It's, it's one of those things where 
it was a dream. I was glad to just try to do it. But the fact that it's working out so well is just really, really making me happy. I, I would typically have saved this question for eight straight, but, but knowing your interest in the history of this area, I, I wonder if there's something in that history that you kind of find yourself talking about or thinking about all the time, whether it's a specific character or an event or you know, something groundbreaking um, related to the Texas Panhandle and Amarillo. I mean, what are what are some of the things that really capture your fancy? Um, I mean, it's a little bit of everything. I know that's kind of dodging it a little bit. Um, but I, I love, you know, all the heavy hitters of Panhandle history, Jay Evans Haley. And I, I love the kind of heroic figures of mm-hmm. Panhandle history. But one thing that I've really enjoyed in reading about history is often the people who write these books uh, kind of go all in on reverence. Um, You know, all these figures are heroic figures. They did great things. They're, you know, uh, unimpeachable people, which some of those things are true to a certain degree. But what I've really enjoyed doing is trying to read between the lines a little bit, trying to find some of the forgotten things or undertold things uh, about the area. So I've enjoyed reading a little bit about the sordid history of Amarillo. Uh, There's certain things that I want to know more about. You know, we have a history of uh, sex work in Amarillo, you know, Mexican history of this region, um, you know, famous murders that have taken place here, uh, the history of black people in Amarillo, certain things like that that I feel like are told a little bit more now, but not as much as I think they right. should be. And often the way that I've encountered them in a lot of these old, you know, very highly lauded panhandle history books is kind of in a dismissive way or in a marginalized way. So it's like you read it for a second, and for me, it really piques my interest, but they only talk about it for a moment. So you have to kind of go on this search mission to find more information about it, and you find yourself having to go in several different, you know, areas to find it. Uh, and I, I, I wish that we had more information on right. that side of Amarillo. Which you have because most of the, the storytellers are maybe writing from a position of privilege or yep. they're whitewashing and they have some interest in whitewashing it. And all those other stories have survived, you know, through oral traditions or yep. maybe through families and just have never even been written down in the first place. Absolutely. That's one of the things that has always been really interesting to me about places like Panhandle Plains Museum that has their deep you know, archives of people just talking, you know, telling the stories about this area, that there's so much of that history that's passed on from family to family that doesn't even appear in the books. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've you moved here and you've started a business here. You guys are planted. But you've also talked about the ways that you've seen Amarillo grow up until now. And I wonder, looking at that trajectory, I mean, what do you see in the next few years? Because y'all are, y'all are young. You're, you're part of um, a younger crowd, a more maybe a more alternative crowd yeah. uh, than a lot of the typical, you know, Amarillo movers and shakers and entrepreneurs and stuff. And I, so I wonder, looking at that culture and looking at the way that we're moving forward, what, what do you see? I see, uh, I think one word that I might use is healing mm-hmm. in a way. Um, whenever I grew up here, whenever I was a teenager here, I was really bitter. You know, I was not religious. I didn't grow up in the church. So I kind of like chafed, you know, with that uh, environment there was kind of a certain like negativity that I had um, just towards life in general, very bitter person uh, for a while. And being away for a while helped me to kind of grow out 
of that kind of experience, new ideas. And one thing that I was really kind of pleased by whenever I moved back is the generation, you know, slightly younger than me, they seem to be much healthier than my generation was. Hmm. I mean, they, they all kind of had some of the same problems uh, that I had growing up in Amarillo, but I don't know why, but they seemed to kind of heal from it better, I guess, or they had a better kind of outlook on it or a better mentality about it, um, which I really, really appreciated. Meeting some of the people I hadn't met previously, you know, the weirder alternative people, um, having that kind of positive outlook really affected me in a way. It made me even more glad to be back. It made me see that there was potential for more of that Mm -hmm. in Amarillo, um, because I think that kind of thinking can be contagious whenever you're, you know, trying to remain positive, trying to, you know, help people heal. So I want to see more of that. I want to see more people kind of being the best version of themselves that they can be, you know, helping themselves to heal, helping other people to heal. Uh, And I think once we do that, we can we can grow quite a bit uh, if we kind of start encouraging each other, uh, actively participating Mm -hmm. in things that we're doing. Uh, that we can really build a, a beautiful uh, community of people here. That that sort of refreshing outlook, um, is that, I think that's a generational thing and that you have a generation that's more willing or able to talk about mental health, you yep. know, than, than maybe baby boomers or Gen Xers or whatever. Or is there like a geographical component to it? Is, is there something about the people, you know, in their 20s and, and early 30s that have chosen to stay in Amarillo that have a little bit different mindset from those who maybe took off or... I don't know if I could pinpoint it exactly. I think it's probably a mixture of all of those things. I think kind of the rise in mental health awareness has certainly helped. I think Emerlo growing a little bit on its own has certainly helped. Social media, I think, has helped in mm-hmm. a certain way too. You know, weirder alternative people, you know, make friends with other weird alternative people on there. They see, you know, people in other areas doing the same things that they're doing uh, and maybe encourages them a little bit more. But I, I think it's a, a, a collection of things. I don't know if I could say it's just one thing uh, in particular. The last thing I want to ask, and, and this is a topic that has come up a few times on the show, is that you know you have been here about a year, and you have very firmly established yourself in the community, not only in finding you know folks like Keegan and McCabry to open a business with, but just you know you've you've got your people already, and that's something that a lot of adults you know, struggle to do as adults, you know, it's easy to make friends when you're a kid, but when you're an adult or you're married or or whatever, like that can be challenging. So tell me about the process of like moving to a new place and just kind of building into those friendships, because I know you guys have done that. Yeah, it was really, again, uh, it was something kind of new to the move. I mean, we've always been social people, but, you know, doing what we wanted to do in Amarillo kind of required of us to put ourselves out there. So I had been off social media for years, um, only created it to, you know, uh, promote my business a little bit, but I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to get involved. I wanted to reach out to other creative people, uh, and, you know, encourage what they're doing, you know, help in whatever ways I could. So there was something really kind of exciting about that, uh, because Amarillo, has a lot of really creative people. Sometimes they know of each other, but they don't know each other as well, or they don't really hang out. And several people kind of told us when we moved back that we kind of brought a lot of people together who, like I said, knew each other, but didn't you know hang out necessarily all the time uh, and just kind of 
forced everyone together. You know, we were all, you know, hanging out. We used to throw like little get togethers at our place and we would just invite everyone who we thought was cool and, and interesting. So it kind of started out on a real basic social level, uh, just being really interested in these creative people, what they were doing, uh, wanting to like contribute to that in some way. And I, I think uh, a lot of those people kind of saw us, uh, saw that we were sincere mm-hmm. about what we wanted to do. Uh, and that, that kind of helped us all in a certain way. And again, that's kind of what came into Kalichi was all of us being friends, being creative and realizing that there was power in numbers rather than doing these things on your own. Uh, we can all kind of come together and, and make it happen, you know, uh, as a team. The last thing I wanted to ask is just about the creativity of Amarillo. Um, you know, coming from a place like Chicago that has such a, a rich culture uh, in the arts. And Amarillo has its own sort of creative culture. Tell me what you've seen here, you know, just having been here for about a year. Yeah, I mean, tons of different things, really. Uh, Amarillo has a pretty extensive history with the art world in general. But, I mean, creatives of all types, um, you know, painters, cinematographers, screenwriters, Mm -hmm. uh, writers, just anything that you can think of, Amarillo surprisingly has uh, a lot of it. That that was something that I was a little bit... um, surprised by. I think one one thing that I do really like about some of uh, the creative people that I know here um, is there's a kind of a certain edge to it that I like. Um, there's also an incorporation of this area in kind of weird new ways, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the iconography of the West and of the cowboy. Uh, I feel like within the past five or so years, there's been kind of a claiming of that in a certain way. Um, where you see kind of, uh, you know, not your typical cowboy kind of stuff, which which I love. I love whenever people take something, you know, relatively sacred and kind of skew it yeah. in a way. Someone like Brittany Bush is who I think of with that. Like a lot of her paintings are uh, women cowboys, uh, queer cowboys. And I, I love that. It's something that I don't think we see enough of. And it's something that plays into kind of multiple facets of my personality. Um, so those those are the things that I, I, I really like here, especially, again, the weirder stuff, because I love seeing weird things thrive in seemingly not weird areas. Yeah. We've got a lot of that. We do, yeah. For the last few weeks, Hey Amarillo has used this space for a special nonprofit highlight sponsored by SKP Creative. This week's nonprofit is the Downtown Women's Center. This organization was founded in 1989, and it provides a variety of care for homeless individuals and especially homeless women who are in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. The Downtown Women's Center is supported by several partnerships, including Thrift City, Thrift City 2, and the Uptown Shop in Wolfland Square. And many of the employees of these stores are graduates of the Downtown Women's Center programs. This organization is always in need of donations and volunteers, so check out dwcenter.org. To learn more, that's dwcenter.org. And thanks to SKP for calling attention to their work. Okay, I'm back with Lance Garza. Lance, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes farming implements used by the pastores, who were New Mexican sheepmen who settled along the Canadian River in the 1800s before all the white people moved in here which is an interesting story that I don't ever hear anybody talking Absolutely. about. Um, but uh, you can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Um, so we've talked about you moving here during the pandemic. 
which makes this kind of an interesting question. But what's one thing the pandemic has revealed to you about this area? So uh, about this area, and I mean, just people in general, is we were starved for activity. I mean, we went a whole year without being able to do really anything, shows, parties. So whenever we first kind of started doing stuff, people were just hungry for mm-hmm. it. I mean, they were so excited. So so that kind of appetite for activity is is one thing that I think we noticed about ourselves. What does this area have too much of? Trauma, I think. Yeah. A little, little too much trauma. Yeah. Spoken like the uh, husband of a, a therapist. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, religious trauma, sexual assaults, really kind of a, a lot of it, uh, unfortunately, is here. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that we know, almost everyone we know has some kind of trauma uh, in their life. And that's what's super interesting is that that really is true probably of everyone. Yeah. But younger generations are more willing to face that. Absolutely. Or talk about it or admit to it. Yeah. Than, than maybe their parents did. And, and that's one interesting component that kind of leads to the healing that you talked about. Definitely. What does this area not have enough of? For me, music venues, mm-hmm. um, huge music buff. Obviously, we have some good ones. Uh, I would love more. Uh, I grew up uh, in the early 2000s here. We had the Pod. We had the Refuge, Club Illuminati, the Deli for a little while. These really kind of cool, dingy DIY places mm-hmm. that were doing shows several nights of the week. Uh, and I feel like we don't have enough of those now. It's a common complaint, Um not a lot of people are doing something about it. Yeah. Although you are. So, I mean, that's what's, that's what's encouraging. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? You're talking to your former colleagues in Chicago or something. Like, what, what do you tell them about this place? It's a place of, it, it, I think it requires a certain level of uh, patience. I, I think this area is beautiful, um, but it, it's not beautiful the same way that a mountain range is. Mm-hmm. You know, a mountain range, you know, attacks you with its brilliance and beauty. The panhandle is one that I think you have to sit with for a little while. And then the beauty just kind of like sneaks up on you. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? I'd probably say the North Heights neighborhood. Um, the, The history of it, you know, it's also like one of the kind of largest concentration of dynamite museum signs. It's also, I think it's about like as old as Wolflin Mm -hmm. too. So it's been around for a while, very extensive history. Uh, and it's another one that I think is, you know, everyone knows it exists, but not everyone knows like the extensive history of it. Uh, so I've kind of always a- appreciated that. And I mean, it's actually on one of the most beautiful plots of land yeah, yeah. in Amarillo. And people don't realize that either. I mean, it's raised up. You get a good view of the city. There's hills all through there. So I, I actually really enjoy it. I, I used to work over there for a little while as well at the North YMCA. So I've spent uh, just a considerable amount of time there. And again, most of that history is not really recorded in a lot yep. of places, but there are families who can tell it Absolutely. And, and have the stories. What's your favorite local restaurant? Yellow City Street Food, all right. hands down. Not all the way vegetarian, but mostly vegetarian. Uh, they have the best options in town, solid food, cool vibes. Absolutely love Yellow City. What's your favorite local coffee shop? 806. Been going there for a long time. They opened up shortly before I moved back the second time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is such a cool place. This is another place that Amarillo needs. It's cool. It's got an edge to it. Uh, good coffee, interesting people. So I love going to the 806. It's one of the only places I really go to for coffee. And I'm interested in this answer. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Ooh, it's 
it's been about six years, okay. maybe. Uh, so it wasn't like your first stop once you came back. To no, town. <laughs> no. I've been. I went to the parking lot recently, but didn't go inside. Yeah, just haven't haven't been back since I've been here. So okay, I need I need to do that. The last time soon. you went, what what was the occasion? I met my dad and my aunt there to okay. get some drinks. So we didn't even eat. We just right. sat at the bar, had a couple of beers, and then left. Okay. So the last time I ate there was like a Thanksgiving, like twelve or so years yeah. ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, it's it's brewery is more popular with locals maybe than the steakhouse itself. Yeah, you know, as a destination because it was the first independent brewery. And in, I remember in hearing so, that. Yeah, it, it may have a little more cachet uh, apart from the tourist aspect. Lance, that concludes uh, the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Maybe, I don't know if this is a cop-out. One thing I would like to endorse is uh, for people to either come back to Amarillo or to come to Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm one of those people. We have a few friends within the past year who have moved back, but I think a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, of my type uh, move away from Amarillo to Austin or Portland or wherever, and then they just never come back. I, but I wish more people that grew up here who kind of know the area would take a chance on Amarillo again, yeah. come back bring all the cool things they learned, all their creativity back here, uh, and try to get involved in some way, try to make people like them and me want to stick around for a little bit longer. All right. I agree with that. Lance Garza, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jason. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Lance for the interview. You can find him online at bitterbuffalorecords.com or calicheco.com. And also, uh, he's pretty active on Instagram. Thanks to Angelina Marie, of course, for editing this episode, and to my sponsors, Wick Realty, SKP Creative, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. If you're looking for a place to volunteer this year, or if you're cleaning out the closet and need to donate some gently used clothing, consider the Downtown Women's Center and its retailers. As usual, this podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarello. Heyamarello's executive producers include Jason Burr, Rosselda, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Jess Heredia, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Patrick Burns. This has been episode 229. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.